Hello and welcome to Drill to Detail, a new podcast series hosted by me, Mark Whitman, where I'll be commentating on the big data, business analytics and data warehousing industry, along with a guest who's either building the analytics platforms that sit behind all those web startups and companies disrupting every industry these days, or like me, actually implements, consults, analyzes and commentates on what must be one of the most hottest and most newsworthy and topical areas of the IT industry these days. So I was inspired by uh, John Gruber's Apple-focused podcast series, The Talk Show, where he interviews a mix of industry commentators, Apple execs in his case, and a sort of one-off guests with insights into a particular area. And in this inaugural episode of the podcast series, I'm very pleased to be joined by Stuart Bryson, who's an old old friend, a colleague from the past, and someone who's probably very well known in the kind of the, or- the Oracle BI data warehousing and, and uh, an analytics industry, probably the second most popular speaker in the, uh, in, in the kind of conference circuit. So Stuart, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Um, and, uh, and tell us who you are. Absolutely, yeah. So my name is Stuart Bryson. Uh, like Mark, I'm an Oracle Ace Director in the Oracle space. Uh, I'm a co-founder of a company called Red Pill Analytics. And uh, I've been working with Oracle Technologies for about 18 years. I started um, soon after college. I t- took a bit of a walk on the wild side, worked for Informix Software for a couple of years. On their, uh, I was on their SWAT team. And that kind of got me into professional services. And it also is what introduced me to really to data warehousing and BI. So I started doing data warehousing on a, on a different database than Oracle. But I soon saw the light, got back in the, in the red path. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, you know, I worked for myself for quite a long time as a, as a consultant slash contractor. But all that while, I was following this very good blog from this uh, interesting gentleman uh, over in the U.K., who seemed to lay it all out there uh, every every few, a couple times a week? Really, you were you were pr- pretty uh, you were a pretty uh, verb- ver- verbose blogger at that time, Mark. And uh, I just knew that uh, that if I ever had the chance, I'd want to work with you. And uh, and that dream came true. Uh, I worked uh, six or seven years there at Ritman Mead. Quite quite proud of my time there. And uh, recently, or uh, looking at, at the two year anniversary of our company, about two years ago, I. Uh, you know, joined uh, another colleague I respected, Kevin McGinley, and we we started Red Pill Analytics, and and the rest is sort of history. Yeah, excellent, Stuart. Thanks. Well, it's uh, it's great to have you on here, and I, I couldn't think of anybody I'd want to have on the first ever episode, really, because like me, you've got a lot of opinions. You've been doing this for a long time, and really, in this in this first podcast, I wanted to talk about some things that are very topical in our industry, but actually are very relevant to you as well in the kind of areas that you work in. So. Some people within, you know, some people within the BI kind of world, a lot of people probably would have seen the um, the Gartner Magic Quadrant that came out recently, the BI and Analytics Magic Quadrant. So that was, I think, around about sort of January, February of this year, and and it was fairly kind of dramatic, very big news, because uh, Oracle, for example, the company that we work with mostly, uh, was actually dropped from the Magic Quadrant, uh, which was you know a year ago before that it right. was in the Leaders Quadrant. And so what happened in that period was, was as Stuart knows, was that Gartner kind of redefined what was they considered to be a modern kind of BI tool. And they started talking about the fact that, you know, really BI these days is, is led, you know, by the users rather than by IT. Um, and really, you know, what constitutes in their mind a kind of modern BI tool is, is not, an, not a tool that is led by IT. So, and there was concepts in there of things like bimodal BI and that sort of thing. And so I thought it'd be interesting to kind of talk about in this first bit, uh, as Stuart, someone who has worked in this area, you know, are you seeing this kind of idea? Are you seeing this thing in the market where, uh, you know, I suppose tools like Tableau are being used more, um, or is that more kind of just hype from Gartner? Yeah, there's a couple of things going on here. Uh, I think uh, first off, you know, it's my understanding, and I, you know, I can't quote anybody on this, but Oracle chose not to participate, um, and that that's why they're not in there at all. Uh, now I can't I can't validate that but that they knew that they would not be judged on their newest product set and chose not to participate. I don't know if that's the case. Regardless, I don't think they would be probably where they're used to being anyway. Um, I mean, I think there's something interesting about what Gartner is doing. Uh, I have to agree with them to one degree in that they are certainly describing uh, what's happening. I think that the idea to break enterprise reporting, as they've done, away from BI and analytics is probably – a smart approach as far as how to how to categorize these things. At the same time, there's a difference between describing and prescribing what we think necessarily should happen. And I think when you look at, it's not just in analytics really, it's in uh, a lot of what Gartner is doing now. They sort of have this distaste 
for for IT in general. And I think that's coming out um, in the way they're categorizing things. But it certainly does, uh, Mark, describe what's happening. And I think maybe even this, hap- this, this has been happening with analytics longer than perhaps other, uh, uh, you know, we'll say development platforms or infrastructures or applications in that, you know, even with BI reporting tools, you know, uh, folks have been pulling that data out and trying to put it in other more adaptive tools. I think that's been going on for a long time. What, you know, wrapping it up in, in, into a term like bimodal or, or a third platform or whatever, you know, Gartner kind of wants to describe it. I think, you know, we've been seeing that for a while uh, with desktop tools, uh, uh, for instance. So, so I think I think for anybody who's who's on this who hasn't read the Gartner report or certainly the detail of it, just to kind of just to highlight what that is really. So, so the Gartner report said that really, and this is a theme I think they've had through a lot of their their reports they do because they obviously have so many segments and the markets they cover. The concept of bimodal IT, where um, there are some types of projects that um, are, are really kind of done best as a very structured project by IT over many months in many phases and so on. So putting in a new ERP system or, or, or something kind of fairly big. Um, but some projects are better done um, more kind of um, uh, uh, maybe even by that like shadow IT. So where the, the initiative comes from the, from the business and they buy what they want and they start small and build out from there. Um, now, what they're saying, obviously, in this in this uh, magic quadrant, is that the innovation and the and the license spend is happening in this area here. Now, where that affects Oracle and vendors like Oracle, so for example, you know IBM and Cognos and so on, is you know if people aren't buying your tools, then then that's obviously an issue. But I think for for us as practitioners, you know, is this just hype? Is this something where um, you know is self service IT or you know BI is that hype or is there sort of value there? And I think. If you think about what, particularly what some of the ideas in this modern BI idea, uh, sort of you know way of doing things are, no data modeling or or, or kind of um, optional data modeling. I mean, Stuart, this has been your industry. This has been your kind of lifetime. You know, do you think there's value in the statement to say BI should make data modeling and data curation optional? So optional, uh, permanently, uh, I, I don't believe. Uh, however, I do think. The concept of not necessarily starting there is meaningful. I mean, if you look at what, you know, if uh, if you were to launch an analytics platform from scratch today, uh, you would certainly do something lambda-like, meaning that you would try to address the streaming side of it um, and address the sort of more batch-oriented side. You'd probably try to do both of those because. In, you know, if you're building anything new today, it's going to have a, a, a very heavy mobile uh, side of it. And sitting around waiting, you know, a mobile application needs access to, to things, you know, quickly, especially if it has anything to do with customer, uh, et cetera. So I think that there's certainly value in making data readily available. And it doesn't have to be heavily curated. I mean, it's usually some small bite-sized morsel of analytics that needs to go into those applications or, or, or go into mobile apps. So we certainly need to make analytics available quickly, but we don't necessarily need full-fledged, uh, curated, conform models available immediately. So I think that, you know, when I started talking about sort of uh, agile BI or, or sort of model driven, I think is what I called it back in the day. And I kind of took a uh, took a step from you on that when I started looking at that stuff was that that we wanted to just be more adaptive. We wanted we wanted to these try to push these enterprise tools to their limits. I think what I've discovered in that time and now, I think there's still a lot of value in approaching enterprise reporting platforms in that way. But really um, leading with more with easier analytics tools, sort of having what we call at our company an innovation stream, uh, and we may have stolen that from someone. I'm not sure exactly where we got it, but uh, but but sort of leading with an innovation stream and kind of following with enterprise IT tools, I think is a little bit more realistic um, and a little bit more what's happening anyway. I, I think that that gap between leading with with something a little bit more innovative and following with something a little bit more structured is where the gap is today. I think that that that, that follow-on is not happening. Uh, uh, yeah, so so a lot of work I've been doing, 
particularly in the last kind of year, it's been around sort of big data and, and uh, data reservoirs and, and this sort of thing. And there's <clears throat> a couple of things that come out of that. So you're never going to use a tool like OBI, for example, or Cognos or whatever, as your probably as your first tool that you'd access Hadoop data with. Yep. Because yeah, because of the schema on read part, typically you're spending as much time getting schema out of it. But typically you want to see what data is in there. And, and, and in, particularly now with tools like Apache Drill, where um, it can point to data that has schema built into it or certainly can be read out of there, so JSON and, and CSV and so on. I, th I think that certainly the ability to, to, to select the way in which you deal with metadata, you know, the metadata might come from the, from the data itself. It might be added by the users themselves as a part of their curation. I think that, I think that rather than yep. saying all metadata must be formally defined you know, through a dimensional model and so on, you know, it has its place. And, and we, you, know, you and I have been teaching it for a long time. But I think you know, it's about having the right approach to the right time, really. Where it gets interesting for vendors like Oracle, for example, is, is how they kind of deal with that world. And certainly, I'd be interested in your view in a second on, on tools like DV Desktop, for example, with Oracle. I mean, one of the things we're trying to do with, with, with OBI 12C projects and, and any project really where traditionally it's been an enterprise BI project for us is to think, how can we incorporate some of this thinking in there? How can we get the users to be involved in in, in in the curation process and so on? Have you thought for you? Have you thought about different ways of doing projects now because of this or different tools? Absolutely. I mean, if you really look at it, um, even you know, even for enterprise BI tools, there's there's always been a certain set of users, and for some um, organizations, a large set of users that that dumped that data out and took it to something like Excel anyway. So I think that that all uh, tools like Tableau uh, have done is make that a little more visual and perhaps a little easier. I think that we can harness um, these things that are going to happen anyway. I mean, trying to to cut off this discovery and innovation side of analytics is is a fool's errand. I think that that you're not you're not going to be able to stop it. Number one, nor should you. I mean, um, innovation should should drive uh, execution, really. And I think that that you know not acknowledging that is is sort of a a problem that you know IT has has themselves to blame for a lot of this. I mean, if you look at you know I've, over the last year I've been doing a lot of talks on mashups, self service, uh, that sort of thing, and it gets it gets the developers and business folks in the room kind of jazzed and nodding their heads with me. But there's always someone from IT that says you know we can't open Pandora's box. We can't allow this and for that reason i think it is just kind of just um to put blinders on to a certain degree because it's going to happen it's just the question is is it going to happen in an environment that you can control or are you going to simply push folks out and i think that's what's happening they're going to the cloud they're going to to shadow it they're going to sanctioned shadow it if that's such a thing now because that's where the money's flowing to. So in that case, it's almost not shadow IT, it's sanctioned IT, but just from a non-enterprise architecture. I think that IT, you know, has to bear some blame for this. I mean, what do you think? Well, it does. I mean, I, I, we'll get on to that in a second. And, and really the second topic I want to talk to you about is about how, I, how, we, how the IT part play, plays its part in this kind of thing, really, and whether Agile is still relevant and so on. But I guess before we go into that, just a quick thing, really. Um, Oracle, have, I mean, the area we work in, Stuart, is is, is kind of Oracle BI, and uh, there's been a load of of, um, of new BI tools come out from them recently. So there's been data visualization, desktop. There's been the cloud things, and and so on. Um, certainly, from my side, being candid, you know, when these certainly when BI cloud service came out, you kind of you, you, I struggled. We struggled really to think of what we could do with it because it was such a different market to the market we're in. You know, very right. departmental, very self service, and so on. But but we've been trying to think, you know, how can we use tools like data visualization desktop, which is their equivalent of kind of Tableau desktop? How can we use those tools, put them in users' hands? That initial work really of doing some kind of um, of some discovery and some curation and so on, but then somehow feed that back into a central model. I mean, it, have you? I suppose in a way, have you thought about ways and you can use those tools and, and use cloud and use desktop tools? in a way that isn't that that effort isn't thrown away but actually they can contribute back to what the bigger model is absolutely i mean what, what what's missing is 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 some sort of a uh a, a migration uh from from the desktop tool to the to the enterprise tool maybe we'll see that in oracle's uh product line at some point but i certainly think that uh, it's changed my 
perspective. I mean, you know, it used to be Tableau was mentioned occasionally in, uh, in our customers and now it's, it's in all of them. Uh, and, and I think that to, to try to decide, you know, we have a lot of customers that will say, Hey, so we've got a lot of times it's IT representation speaking to us and saying, yeah, how do we get Tableau out of their hands? And I just think it's the wrong way to look at it. At the same time, there's a lot of things that Tableau and all of the tools like Tableau don't do well. There is a place for, for curated content. I think that the problem is that, you know, at least in the, the, worlds that, the world that I grew, grew up in and BI and data warehousing, and I think it's the same with you, Mark, is that uh, we always started with the curated content. And we had to sort of lead with that. I think that, that, the, that the tool-based or discovery-based or however you want to describe it approach does two things for us that are very, very valuable and that we should uh, endorse. That is one, it helps get our requirements for us, right? So instead of, instead of IT handing over some uh, archaic, uh, never read again requirements document and making someone fill it out and triplet, uh, we, uh, we give them a tool that allows them to express what it is they're looking for. And that could be very, very valuable for trying to capture what it is that's truly in their hearts and what they really want to um, see. And, and, uh, and there's no better requirement for building a dashboard than something that's dashboard-like. I think that's a big indicator, you know, a, a big piece of this. And, and the second real value, piece of value that we get from that is that while IT is building it, the business has something that they can use in the interim. And I think that that's what IT sort of forgot about is that uh, you'll get it in a year. It's just not relevant today. And, and if they don't accept some sort of change to change that, uh, they're going to they're gonna find themselves even more dinosaurs than, than perhaps they're already looking at now. Okay. So that, that's, I mean, that's an interesting kind of lead into to the next thing I want to talk to you about really was, um, so, so Stuart, you know, you, you have talked a lot recently about, about agile. IT delivering agile projects with BI, you know, and we have as well. It's been a common theme, and, and we've kind of, I suppose, the BI industry has is, is, is evolved from these very kind of, um, you know, long uh, waterfall data warehouse projects to BI ones that have agile in there. But the kind of irony, in a way, with this, with the whole kind of Gartner report and the bimodal and so on, is that almost, you know, it, it almost kind of obsoletes everything we talk about, or potentially, because the last thing, in a way, that, that business users want to talk about is agile and, pro- and, and kind of methodologies and so on. So I put, you know, a question to you, Stuart, is, is in a way, do you think this move towards the business running BI projects and this bimodal approach in shadow IT, is it going to kind of lead to, you know, first of all, you know, it, is it, 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 it going to lead to almost like a dark ages of, of, of users kind of, you know, with individual silos of data? It, I mean, what do you think there's relevance for, for, for agile methodologies and IT methodologies uh, going forward in BI? Do you think we're getting this, a listen, really? I think more so than ever. And let me make that case. <clears throat> um, so, you know, if we do sort of endorse and embrace uh, the, the idea that the business is, is going to lead uh, IT from a discovery perspective, from a, you know, discovery tools, Tableau-like tools, data visualization type tools, if we're going to enable them with those tools to, uh, to, to go and, and sort of uh, solve their initial requirements themselves, there's still a sort of a, a backfill for uh, enterprise reporting, at least I would argue there is. Not everything that comes out of their uh, desktop tool necessarily needs to go into the enterprise reporting tool. I think that's the first thing that IT gets wrong in trying to bridge this gap is thinking that everything must go in. Well, actually, if Tableau is solving some departmental need that no one else cares about, that data is not something that anyone else really needs, then it's not necessarily something where that needs to flow into the enterprise reporting tool as well. But now that you've got the business rapidly um, coming up with new requirements and the, and the IT organization or the more structured architecture um, side of the house wants to follow and, and, take, and take some of these uh, requirements from the business that they're, that they're finding on their own, then what better way is there to, to sort of rapidly take those requirements and build them than, a, than an agile methodology. We, we no longer are looking at the target state of an entire sort of BI application, like there's some series of checkboxes that we can hit and be done. I think the idea that they're going to constantly be ahead of IT is a, 
you know, it's a challenge, but it's, you know, it's an encouraging challenge. And I think agile methodologies for IT will help them bring the reporting side closer to the business. And of course, they'll never overtake it, but perhaps they'll follow closer behind using those sorts of approaches. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I suppose it's an interesting thing in in that um, the market for cloud cloud BI and these desktop BI it, it shouldn't need kind of training and that sort of thing. And also, in a way, it's all about it's scratching your own personal itch. But for for me, the interesting thing is is how we deliver how we go into customers with kind of the latest generation of, of kind of BI tools, uh, with the kind of the the idea of kind of bimodal IT and so on. How we can in a way, typically these are now led by the business. They're, they're not led by IT. And, I, and and so part of the issue we have is trying to get IT to stop being a blocker and to be an enabler and that sort of thing. But but but, but certainly, you know, you, I suppose the business aren't really interested in methodologies. They're not really interested in the big picture and so on. And I suppose the hard thing is, is how do you, we, we often talk in Agile, you've talked and we've talked about Agile in the past and having technical debt and, and having sort of sprints that do things that don't really kind of, um, do anything that, that displays on the screen, but make reports run faster or more stable. And we've often said we would lead that, for example, via you know a sprint that's about kind of performance, for example. But in a, but in a way, you know, the difficult thing here is is we, you know th- things go in cycles here, and you can imagine a project that has been led off of things like sort of Tableau and so on. How do we get to, get across to people about the ideas about things like slow change dimensions and things like kind of you know the, the parts of a warehouse that uh, are things you have to do but don't really kind of give end user value. I mean, how, how do you kind of deal with that sort of thing, really? So I think one of the things to, to note is that um, when you talk about like taking a, taking a sprint to do a refactoring of architecture or something like that, the business has no appetite for that. But generally, they, they don't have an appetite for that when they're in an environment where they're constantly waiting on IT to give them things. When they're in an environment where they can lead and they have tools and capabilities that, that allow them to answer their personal questions, or at least their departmental questions, something like Tableau, something like data visualization that can give them answers quickly to what they're looking for, um, then they, they're not necessarily waiting uh, for, for IT to produce every single piece of data that they're going to consume. So I think what happens is if we embrace the the idea that there will be that you know bimodal implies that there are two modes, if we embrace that there will be a mode that innovates and leads and and the customer can can be in the driver's seat there, then they'll have more patience for things like uh, refactoring sprints, slowly changing dimensions and those things because they're fo- they're not they're not waiting. Uh, for the for for the first cut of data, what what we've always done in data warehousing prior to this paradigm shift is is you know not give them anything until it's fully done or conformed or at least you know, some piece of it is fully done, and that's one that they don't have patience for. But if they have something at at their disposal to answer some questions for them while they're waiting for that next sprint, I think they'll be more patient. Yeah, yeah. I mean, another, another, another. I suppose another big trend in our in our industry has been cloud. So, if you think about uh, now, users are as likely to go and get a cloud service to do BI. I mean, I noticed that, that there was a thing announcement this week. Google had um, uh, their own kind of analytics tool that they bit very similar to the kind of the uh, Power BI and, and and DVCS and that sort of thing from Oracle. What's it and, called? Uh, it's called. Uh, blimey, it's, it's on. It's on Twitter. I, I, I mentioned it. They, it's got a name that is some variation of, of the usual words used for these kind of tools. The idea is it, it basically acts as a, a BI tool on top of uh, Google Apps data, so spreadsheets, Google BigQuery, and Google Analytics. Um, but also has yeah, it's, it's interesting. So, but one thing, I, one trend I have noticed in, in in cloud apps and cloud BI is you can start to end up with with silos again. So you know every. Every kind of SaaS app that has a BI reporting tool, you know, it is a separate one. And again, leading into some of the things that you've been talking about in the past, like continuous integration and, and all the things that we do around BI projects to make sure that environments match and so on. They're hard to do in the cloud when you've got disparate kind of sources and so on. You know, in a way, going back again to this doom-mongering thing, are we now heading into a period when we're going to have lots and lots of silos of BI apps that really don't have any kind of configuration management across them because they're in the cloud by different vendors and you know, do you see that happening, almost balkanization of, of BI going forward? Well, so um, there, there are trends to, to cloud-based uh, data, uh, sorry, cloud-based continuous integration tools. I mean, there, there's, there's certainly a lot of 
CI tools, Circle CI, uh, you know, Bamboo's in the cloud. There's several Jenkins uh, in the cloud uh, implementations that will connect to different things that are in AWS, et cetera. So they haven't they haven't boiled down to BI necessarily. But I am encouraged when you see, you know, what you're describing the Google the the Google uh, BI tool, and it sounds very similar to AWS's uh, QuickSight, which which is similar in that, you know, they're sort of their first go around. It, it connects to all the AWS things, right? So it e- easily can report and federate over those things, which sounds similar. I think that that it's encouraging that those things are that those tools and products are running in cloud services that also have CI and pipeline tools. So I think it's a natural sort of uh, uh, merging of, you know, maybe perhaps finally BI gets real CI um, because, you know, we still see you know, with almost every customer we go to lack of source control, lack of automated testing, lack of automated migrations. And that's for any tool. I mean, uh, take almost any enterprise reporting tool. What's encouraging about um, the bimodal approach is that the new tools that are uh, that are coming out, BI analytics tools and that are running in the cloud <clears throat> are tending to be on architectures that are part of the third platform that are more uh, developer centric and, and developed in, in more of these CI types environments. So it might be that there's a natural extension to, to providing these capabilities in the cloud. So I you know, I understand what you're saying as far as, uh, uh, you, you know, the business is not necessarily going to say, hey, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we're opening Pandora's box and going with this BI analytics tool. By the way, we're also going to plug it into the cloud CI capabilities and automated regression capabilities that some other cloud vendor has. They're not going to naturally do that. But if there are hooks, the problem is there's no hooks in the BI tools today for doing any of this. So it has to be very, very manual. If there are hooks and the cloud is always good at providing hooks, we might see some of these things become natural sort of tiers to delivering BI. I'm at least hopeful of that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think really, you know, to kind of sum up my views on on the whole bimodal thing and, and mode two, mode one and, and all this kind of stuff is it's just reflecting the fact that that you know not every approach is appropriate for everything and in the same right. way, in the same way that you hopefully wouldn't try and build your entire enterprise reporting off of kind of you know a, a desktop tool you also wouldn't want to incur the kind of cost of doing curation and, and enterprise stuff for everything Absolutely. else and i think where that oracle had got themselves into a, into a situation and probably a lot of the big vendors is that's the only way you could do things really and and exactly the challenge for them a little bit and every, all these vendors is, is is how to adapt and so on but it's it's, it's kind of, I suppose my other side is, is it's always good if there's customer interest in this thing. And, and the fact that there is this innovation, that there is this kind of change and, and, and so on, it, it shows us interest, at least. At least we're not in some kind of area that is, is, is kind of you know, out of date, really. Could I make one more point on that mm. before we move on? Yeah. Mm. So, um, so what's interesting is that Oracle's in a unique position now with, with like data vi- visualization desktop and the data visualization service, uh, along with sort of the enterprise side of the house. They're in a unique uh, situation to, to, to perhaps deliver both sides uh, in at least a, a consolidated tool set. The, the, and I think that's probably where they're betting on uh, their message. I think, I think it's a good message. But the ironic thing, Mark, is that I'm not sure who's going to hear it, right? Because mm. the business doesn't want to hear about Oracle's capabilities of bridging that gap because they don't recognize the gap. IT is too angry that the gap exists to even recognize the need for uh, at least, you know, I'm painting with a broad stroke here, but a lot of IT organizations don't want to hear about the tools that bridge the gap because they, they want to eliminate the gap by eliminating one side of it. So I'm not sure who's going to hear that message. And I, I don't know if there's a cost center um, in, in, in an enterprise anymore that's got the appetite to try to bridge a gap because the cost centers is usually either with IT or the business. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Um, so so the last thing, Stuart, I want to talk to you about, again, is, is, is quite relevant because of, because of you and I and so on, is uh, you, obviously for anyone, again, who knows myself and Stuart, we, we've worked over the years and the company we work for, you know, has, has worked on, um, actually collaborated with Oracle on some reference architectures for data warehousing in the past, BI and so on. And then Stuart and I worked on uh, with a guy called Andrew Bond, 
and Doug Hackett, uh, we worked on a, a, a an updated uh, Oracle information management reference architecture for, for last year, which is uh, the idea is that it's then taken by by uh, implementers and by Oracle and by customers and gives a kind of like an, a, 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 a canonical example of how you would architect, in this case, a, a big data um, extended uh, data warehouse platform. So one that had uh, both kind of, uh, you know, a, a data warehouse in there, had BI and so on, but it tried to incorporate some of the thinking about um, data reservoirs, uh, things like real-time loading uh, and, and events and so on and so forth. And it had a number of kind of aspects to it. And I thought it'd be interesting to kind of, in a way, to, to, to look back to that and, and think about, yeah. in a way, has that come to pass? Because with a lot, you know, with a lot of um, reference architectures, you know, they're, they're sort of, an, to, to an extent, they're a sales aid, and they're also a slight kind of punt as to what things might turn out to be. And, and, <laughs> and so, and, and actually, there's a point here is, when we publish this podcast, there'll be some show notes. And in the show notes, there's links to all these things. So if you're kind of wondering what we're talking about, there'll be links in the show notes about to, uh, to be white papers, for example, for the architecture and so on. But let me just kind of go through a few stages, a few, a few parts of that architecture and just talk through with Stuart, um, you know, with yourself, Stuart, if, if it was relevant or not. So first of all, one of the kind of main innovations in, in this kind of reference architecture for BI and data warehousing and big data was the idea of splitting out... Um, the innovation layer and the um, and the execution layer. So, Stuart, do you want to explain what that is? What's about first of all? Certainly. I mean, uh, if you look at the reference architecture uh, slides, uh, or at least the diagrams, what you see is um, a very sort of distinct line between the execution, which is on top, and the innovation, which is below. And sort of execution kind of talks about. You know, I don't want to I don't want to pigeonhole it too much and say it's kind of what happens with IT. But in some ways, it is sort of the uh, the packaging and hardening of, of processes. And then below it, you see uh, the innovation side of the diagram. And it talks, you know, there's the, the, the output for the discovery lab there. Um, and you see, you know, it almost, uh, you know, I don't know what your thought is, Mark, but it almost is the two sides of the bimodal. It almost, uh, and, and so when you think about, um, that side of it as far as um, have they sort of, uh, you know, uh, prescribed uh, uh, what, what Gartner's talking about? Have they, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, guessed it? Um, uh, it's, you know, it's not really clear. But, but that execution and innovation side is, is, is trying, at least in my mind, the way I read it, trying to, uh, to provide a place for uh, the innovation that we've been describing that might be led by the business or at least folks that are that are that are um, working on behalf of the business yeah I, th I think it certainly has parallels I think with with the bimodal IT sort of idea I mean I think I suppose a particular feature of, of, of big data and um, sort of new world projects really for, for BI is, is that Typically, you don't know what it is you're doing at the start. You certainly don't. You certainly don't know what tools you're going to use. You don't know know what, for example, algorithms you're going to use, and, and so on. So, <clears throat> when we start data, web, sorry, big data projects, uh, we typically start with you know a, a selection of tools, maybe some VMs, a set of data. Um, yep. Now, not, and, and during that process of working on that, you're going to you're going to arrive at the, the the routines and the algorithms and tools and so on. Now, nothing in that area should well, those tools themselves ideally shouldn't go into production. That that kind of approach there. They should be taken, hardened, and so on and so forth, and put into a kind of business as usual area. Now, where we find projects then go can go wrong is first of all trying to do that innovation within a production style environment. And I've worked on projects with banks, for example, where they've applied the same level of kind of governance and so on to doing a project in R and Python, where you know every five minutes we're asking for a new package or a new whatever, or where the project has gone well in in, in that first phase in the pilot, but then as soon as it gets put into as soon as it starts to be used the whole environment gets locked down and then you can't do any more and that splitting of things and saying that to innovate further you need to make sure that that's kept separate that's really important I think and, and also understanding that the same level of governance and, and things like controls over what tools are used that can't apply to the innovation area as well but you can't then put that into production afterwards because it hasn't had that same level of scrutiny and so on right so yeah that we found that's an important area yeah, I mean, there there always is that question when you talk about some, you know, we we we've, we've called it the innovation stream, and and maybe this is where we we stole it from. I'm, I'm sure we must have stolen it from somewhere, but we call it the innovation stream, and we talk about you know, you know taking a first pass or second pass or third pass at things, sort of triaging it and trying to figure out uh, you know what 
that whatever we produce out of here, where, where should it go next? And I think that, that the, the, the idea of, of IT and security um, always comes into play at some point, sometimes sooner than later. What's interesting about it is that, that they'll, they'll, you know, and again, sometimes this is a broad stroke, but IT will, will try to lock down these layers and lock down these, uh, these sort of uh, um, discovery labs and, and whatever we want to call it, these shadow IT, if we want to call it that, applications to do analytics. But then they'll give everybody toad access to the, to, the, to the database, right? It's like there really is not that much difference between what's going on in a, in a discovery lab and, and somebody querying the source, the source database in real time using toad. I, th- I think that you know, you've got to get on board with getting people what they need because they simply will go connect to toad, export the data out run around with it on their laptops, um, look at it in Excel, et cetera. I mean, I think, uh, I, think you're, uh, I understand that, that IT has the best of intentions when they're trying to lock things down. But, um, but people are going to find ways to, to, to answer the question so that they can make better decisions. Rightly so, exactly. I mean, so, so I suppose a broader question really is the whole idea, I mean, so this was meant to be the, the, the successor in this case, this, this, this reference architecture to the previous one that was uh, more based around kind of uh, you know, a traditional data warehouse and BI and so on. And, and every, every one of these reference architectures that Oracle do, which we get, we get involved in, that each one evolves a bit from the previous one. So, so I remember years ago, there was one that was very kind of, I've got a diagram somewhere, it's all in kind of black and red and so on. And it was all the kind of... You must have liked that black yeah, and red. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, but it was, so that was very database centric. And then there was a BI one as well. Uh, a question to you is, as much as we talk about big data and we talk about data reservoirs, are you actually seeing that being used on projects? Are we actually seeing as much use of Hadoop and Schema on Read and all these things on customer projects, even new ones, as the architecture would suggest, or is it a bit of a, a bit of a kind of emperor's new clothes, or, or what? What are you seeing out there? Is big data being used in BI? Uh, it's not. I mean, uh, it, it's a discussion point. Uh, it's not. It's not that it never is. I mean, obviously, we've seen some of it and we've implemented some of it, but it, you know, it's it's always a discussion point, and everyone's trying to get their head around exactly. What is it going to do? I mean, if I've always believed that you, you know, if you have the need, you'll you'll find the solution, and I think that's why companies like LinkedIn, Facebook, Google have have produced so many of these technologies. Is that the the sort of uh, consumer set of of products? You know, what's available off the shelf just doesn't do this stuff. But in reality, um, companies don't. A lot of companies don't have these needs. We have a lot of companies that are saying we need to implement. Uh, of course, we have to implement big data, and it's like, but you know, we also don't have our standard reporting done yet. And and, and it's it's the idea of you know, if you don't even have your your <laughs> your known questions answered, are are you ready to take on new questions? So I think uh, what we are seeing though, Mark, is is a bigger focus on the Lambda architecture and things like Kafka, things like data streaming. I think. Um, you know, for a lot of people, you know, when, when Hadoop was sort of the, the go-to for big data and you start to figure, well, do I load Hadoop and do I load it first? Do I load it? Do I load my data warehouse from Hadoop? Hadoop's not really great at that. Um, you know, and it's actually reducing, uh, sorry, increasing the latency, uh, of data getting into my data warehouse. So I think what, what we've seen a lot and, and customers are a lot more, uh, responsive to is talking about the streaming stuff because what that does is is address a very specific business requirement of getting them data faster. When you start talking about what is the value of Hadoop, it's sort of amorphous about what that value is. I mean, if you have the need for offline processing, you know, machine learning, those sorts of things that those innovative companies I mentioned before are doing, then you need that. But the question is, you don't even know what you don't even know if you need it, but if you start talking about data streaming, that's immediate value. We can get you know, data to, to both your data warehouse, which is a known quantity, but also perhaps some of these sort of small fit-for-purpose, maybe even call it microservices, uh, these little analytic apps that, that, uh, that sort of spawn 
on up all over the place. We can get data in there faster and in a more sort of a structured way. Um, I think that's, we're seeing a lot more, um, you know, uh, response to that sort of message. One of the things I struggle with on the, on the reference architecture, you know, I have a lot of respect for Andrew and his whole team, but I, I've often tried to figure out if, if this is describing what's happening or if it's sort of prescribing uh, how it should happen. And I think that's sort of back and forth on this about uh, whether or not this is a, a guide to how you should do it or is it, is it sort of a description of what's happening and you just sort of accept it. Uh, I'm, I'm not positive about that. What do, what do you think? I'll answer your last question first. So Oracle's own you know, BI and data warehousing and, and, and kind of uh, and big data reference architecture in this case came out of the you know, the enterprise architecture team who, who aren't particularly aligned to particular products. And, yep. and they are looking to, I guess, they're looking to find success in quotes with, with, from Oracle customers. And so this particular reference architecture, I think, had quite a lot of, um, uh, was driven a lot by a particular implementation in a bank in, in Spain that was, was doing this. And there was some, I think what they're trying to do is to reflect things that are working and, and are providing competitive advantage for customers. So I, I don't, I don't think this is a, this, this isn't your classic kind of architecture in, in that it's, um, something there just to sell products and to put things into into slots. I think there's some sort of tr- there's there's truth in it, although obviously yep. some of the you know in, in some of the concepts in in the particular Oracle one to do with say sort of like event stores and so on are almost to the point of being so abstract as to be you know unrecognizable really. But I think that so, certainly back a bit to, to is big data being used in, in in BI projects. I mean the one thing I don't see being used is big data in the way that it's always described. So whenever you see anyone talking about big data and that awful kind of three v's you know velocity and all that and it's like sensor readings from from smart devices and all that but we you know we we don't i don't the, the projects i deal with as a, as, a, as a bi implementer typically aren't that kind of thing you know it would be it would be a customer for example who is looking to do and I'm actually these are ones we actually are doing with customers where they're doing the kind of customer 360 um sort of project where um they're bringing in data from external sources and it's arriving in sort of json format for example and so it's not big data in as much as there's lots of it, but it's coming in a format that probably lends itself better to being stored in, in HDFS, for example. And, right. then, and then a tool like, say, Drill is much faster getting to it than, than, than say, a relational tool. And so it's a bit, I, my analogy is it's like the space program. You know, in the space program in the 60s, um, you know, we put, we, Americans put someone on the, on, on the moon. And there were technologies that came out of it that have been used ever since. So my, my, my point, my point is, is that some of the some of the things that come out of it, the flexible storage, the, the, and the biggest innovation for me that I'm starting to see customers pick up on now, is this idea that that you know you can create a, a, a platform that lets you store all the data and then use use and use different um, processing frameworks on that same data. So if you think if you think about say um, say an Oracle Big Data Appliance. You can put the data on there and you can use Spark, you graph analysis, you can do SQL analysis. It's this ability to land all your data and actually to do anything with it. That's starting to get traction now, really. And so we're, st- we're starting to find it's happening. I think this is a, is a slight element of a problem looking for a solution. Yeah. Um, I think certainly every customer, every big customer that we deal with that is adding capacity to their data warehouse is doing it through Hadoop. So they're not spending any less, for example, on, on or having any less big analytic databases, but any extra capacity is being added by, by Hadoop. Um, I think, as you said, streaming is now the new batch, you know, in, in a way. It's, it, streaming is, is how we're doing things. But what we, what we don't see is almost the things that you hear people talking about. And if you think about um, one, again, one of the challenges that we find in actually implementing big data projects for customers is, even more so than reporting projects, they kind of don't know. Even they often have no idea what they want to do, you know. And I think yeah. there's a more of an onus on us as implementers to go in with ideas. And I think that's the challenge a little bit for vendors like Oracle and and, and other ones that only really have a kind of a, a software play. Um, Microsoft, for example, is they don't go in with the ideas; they just have the platform. And yeah. and it's it's you know customers, particularly anybody now that's thinking about doing a bi a big data initiative in two, in 2016. Is probably you know with with respect, it's probably not the kind of the Ubers of this world and so on. And that that kind of whole thing of you know we want to do a big, big data project, but we don't know why is a challenge, really, isn't it? Do you think though that that you know if you're uh, sort of a standard or traditional organization and you, and you've decided to do a BI initiative or sorry a big data initiative, and you're sort of trying to you know find out what to what to use this for. 
are you going to get any value? I mean, from my perspective, and the answer may be yes, but from my perspective, you, you're looking for uh, a big data implementation because you have a need and you haven't been able to solve it with traditional tools. You know, uh, you, you, you know, you've got a lot of files coming from, from uh, some sort of system or systems. Uh, they're, they're dumping in a, lo- in a directory, you know, uh, you, you know, just gigabytes, uh, you know, millions or billions of rows a day. And you've been trying to load those into a relational database for years and you've been, you know, you haven't been able to solve that. Or, you know, I think when, when, when those sorts of uh, organizations are looking for some sort of a, a, of a solution and they find big data, then, 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 you know, everything aligns. But it's when the organization that says, okay, we're not doing big data, we know we should be, so let's do big data. There's not going to be anything that comes out of that in most cases, in, at least in my opinion. But they, I think that you're, you're obviously correct. So I think any any IT project or any project that doesn't really got a kind of business purpose is, is, is right. But sometimes that can help when someone's boss, for example, suddenly decides they want to have a big data project, and up until then they've been, you know, the staff have been ignored on it. And I think that it has been a, a catalyst in some case for us where. You know, the, the boss has kind of said, you know, a boss several levels above has said, we must do a big data project. But then actually below them, they've got loads of ideas. And so sometimes that kind of very, um, yeah, very kind of uh, just spur of the moment thing can be good. But we, oh, I- but, but we certainly find that a project really that hasn't got a purpose is, is doomed. And, and the ones that we find that have got success are either the straightforward IT ones where they've got a very clear idea of creating a platform or, or doing things cheaper and so on, or the ones that have really come out of a kind of a skunk works thing in, say, marketing, where they've started probably with a shadow IT project and very quickly realised they, they can't store the data and so on. And that right. they, they almost then welcome IT because at that point it's too, you know, it's too big to handle and, and, and so on, really. And so, I mean, this is another interesting area of this is, is you know, um, the, the the vendors selling tools in this area. So again, you know, talking of Oracle, for example, um, where I'm not seeing a lot of take up of is tools like, say, you know, big data discovery or, or tools these these kind of big data enabled um, BI tools, where they're trying to sell too many concepts into to the customer. If you think about, I mean, and every vendor yeah. has these things there where you're trying to sell not only the concept of, of kind of data discovery, for example, but Hadoop as well. And it's an interesting it's an interesting place to be in, really, where there's a lot of demand for these tools and, and projects, but I'm not sure that every implementer and every vendor is going to be successful with this, really. If you think about where we sort of started uh, the, our conversation uh, today, which was about sort of end-user business-focused discovery, and you know that doesn't necessarily align with big data implementations, right? Because Users are, of course, if if they're really sophisticated uh, users that are looking for, you know, and I'm thinking data scientists here, um, th- those those people will have a lot of success uh, if if IT happens to implement an enterprise wide uh, big data initiative. But if we're looking at sort of the bimodal side, where where sort of the business is leading, the last thing they want is something even more difficult to query than a relational database. What they ideally want is Excel files, right? So I think that, uh, you know, but I, I absolutely see your point about what happens when uh, a CIO or someone steps into a position and says, we must have big data, and it just so happens that that down below there have been uh, a lot of requirements that would have been, uh, you know, satisfied by big data earlier, then there's a lot of success. I think I think what's interesting is that it's it it, it it you know I was just did a podcast earlier today with uh, with uh, someone that works for you, Mark Michael Rainey, and, and he mentioned the organizations like Google and um, and uh, Facebook where everyone's an engineer. Uh, that was the terminology he used. Those are those those organizations will thrive with big data initiatives, where you know you've got a lot of coders and all and all all they need is is access to the data. But I think more, more uh, what's usually more the point is that in standard organizations, there's very few engineers, and uh, and uh, and perhaps that's the play for for implementers like us to try to bridge that gap. But I think it's problematic when really what they have is a Tableau-like tool, where they want really not very complex uh, data stores, and Hadoop is 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 not that. You have to apply the schema. 
uh, as you as you read it, and uh, and that's even sometimes more challenging for the business, if that makes sense. Yeah, certainly. So, so I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm conscious of time now. So, there's one last thing I want to ask you, really, which is I, I've been. I mean, one thing I've been doing recently is, is is thinking about what would in five years' time, five years' time, ten years' time. You know, what would a an analytic platform look like? So, if you were to go into one of our customers in in in, in a few years' time. What what would what would it look like? I mean, a statement that I've been making, you know, I tend to kind of make fairly kind of you know sweeping statements. Is I think that all analytic work like workloads will move to Hadoop or Hadoop style technology in in the next kind of five years or so, and certainly um, transactional workloads, kind of you know, you know EBS in, and and kind of ERP type things will be on say Oracle or, or SQL Server or whatever. But all analytic workloads, I think, will move to Hadoop. You know, what do you think of that statement? And do you think that's true, or what would you say? I, I think uh, it, it may not happen in uh, in that time frame that you mentioned, but I do agree with you that it'll happen. I, and I'll have one small caveat: I could see a world where relational is dead. Uh, but we still have a Hadoop or Hadoop like something Hadoop like, and uh, and and frankly something EPM like, right? Mm. So. Uh, so much of the business close. So many businesses are close their books on, you know, I'm talking about Hyperion uh, financial reporting like mm. technologies. Uh, I can't imagine closing the books on Hadoop, right? So, I can certainly see a world where uh, the relational gets squeezed out. It's getting squeezed from both sides. If you think about it, it's getting squeezed from the the architectural uh, IT play from from cheaper. Um, in, in some ways, more robust solutions uh, from from the big data world, or at least it, maybe not more robust, but at least more fast moving. Um, and then they're getting squeezed. Uh, relational technology is getting squeezed on the other side by the business and uh, and the OLAP style uh, Hyperion type products that are specifically focused at finance, closing the books and financial reporting. You could see uh, both sides of that squeezing relational out in such a way that it's gone um, with with data processing frameworks that become more and more robust. I'm thinking Kafka and Spark um, that start providing data directly to EPM style solutions for closing the books. I could definitely see a world where that happens. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think that that you know we're probably saying this, and we think you know there'll be people who who would listen to us and say, you know, that's that, that's the worst thing you could say. That how what, <laughs> why why would how can you say that relational databases would, would be wiped out? And and but I suppose one thing I do think is there were probably you know massive advocates of, of hierarchical databases back in the sort of seventies and sixties with COBOL, who who would say, you know, why would you have things differently? And I think everything moves on and. I mean, to my mind, there. Yeah, if you take if you take a, a high-end um, relational database like say Oracle or, or, or DB2, there's so much in there that that you that Hadoop is not trying to build out. So things like kind of um, you know things, rollback and stuff, and, and and even things like primary keys yeah. and, and so on. And I, I, that, that that workload, I think, is certainly for now the business of doing transactions and, and having relational data sets and so on for for businesses. It makes sense. But certainly, um, there t- I think there are two things that particularly mean that analytic workloads will move to Hadoop. And, and one is, you know, just everything for that kind of workload is, is about doing it fast and, and, and large and, and so on. And that it scales yeah. so well. Second thing is just the frightening pace of innovation. I mean, if you look at, say, um, what Cloudera have been doing, you know, with things like Kudu and, 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 and in part, and there's a drill, obviously, from MapR. How can, how, can, how can Oracle, how can anybody keep up with this? It's, it's the point where I would say that, an, an analytic platform built now on, say, Cloudera, CDH, or, or, or Hortonworks, or whatever, is probably actually, you know, feature-wise, better than, than some of the stuff we see from, from the big vendors. And that, I think, certainly in the same way that Linux wiped out the, the commercial kind of, you know, proprietary Unix, and, yeah. that was just natural, wasn't it? But there's still going to be Windows on desktops and, and so on. But I don't know. It's an interesting. It's an interesting kind of thing, really. And I think that certainly, you know, streaming, um, uh, doing things in memory, clustered, and all that is is where it's going. The one, I suppose, the one thing is, will it all be abstracted away in the end, though, and just run in the cloud? And actually, in the end, it's just it's a more for sort of service. I, I think you're right. I mean, at least you know, if you think of uh, the reason that data warehouses initially went into relational databases, there was nothing else, and it was the easiest. Uh, it was the easiest thing to do. Um, I think that now with so many other options, uh, and it, it, you know what, what we spend a lot of time when, we, especially uh, in the in the, like the Oracle database or databases that initially began as transactional databases, 
Uh, and when we're doing analytics in those databases, we're trying to find ways to get around the, the, the basic constraints of a transaction. Um, you know, an Oracle database is built around the concept of a transaction and that slows down uh, you, you know, more uh, the bigger and uh, loads and the bigger uh, queries. So I think that that there is a natural uh, extent. We don't need transactions necessarily in your your uh, average analytic app, right? Mm. We don't need acid. We don't need those things, and we just need to get the data in, and, and it, it, you know, and we need to get rough estimates on the on the numbers. So I think it makes a lot of sense to for organizations to to start with analytics as a place to cut costs. I think. I think there, uh, there's a there's a cost cutting uh, side that's driving this, um, and you know I never want to want to necessarily uh, you know dispute that that that's uh, a reason to do things, but in the big data world, the, the the schema on read side is is where so much value can be had from these processing frameworks. As you said, it becomes sort of um, unimportant how you process the data. Um, you choose the framework or the or the service or whatever that's most that's the easiest for you. That being said, though, Mark, one of the things that that uh, data warehouses have always provided and and uh, and uh, semantic layers and all of that is you know code reuse, single single version of the truth, et cetera. Are, do you think we'll lose that in in the Hadoop powered data warehouse or? Do we leave that sort of single version of the truth for the finance and the Hyperion style applications? I, I think, I think certainly from my perspective, um, I, I think one of the things that will change about data warehouse projects in, in the future is just automating and, and abstracting away and taking away some of the kind of the work that we do now. If you think about doing a slow change in dimension um, data warehouse, you know, even now with, with, with kind of ETL tools and so on, there's still work involved, isn't there? You know, it's not nearly yeah. as much as before. Uh, yeah, should that need to be something we have to kind of select and, and and kind of build each time? And if you look at some of the things coming through from the from the vendors now around around uh, data preparation, where they're using, for example, kind of classification routines to to automate the kind of the, the the data profiling, but also to do things like trying to work out the name of a column based on the values in there. I think a lot mm. of the stuff, in the same way that cloud in general is trying to consumerize things and. and I think the work involved in doing this will, will kind of go away in the days when we kind of sit there and choose which kind of like in ODI terms, knowledge module we pick for SE, for change of dimension, that, that will go away. But the, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And I think you still have to think about how do you integrate data? How do you how do you kind of handle history and, and so on? And really, my, when we talk about cloud in general, when we talk about our company and customers and so on, you know, there's always still work to be done. Integration and cleansing and things, they still, they take time, really. And I think that those things will always involve work. But if we can automate part of it and if we can kind of, you know, take away some of the kind of the, the low-level detail, that that's good, really. The other thing really is, I doubt very much, it's an interesting thing to think that we say all these kind of things, but then we go into a customer site, you know, in a few weeks' time and they're using BI tools from 10 years ago. And I think yeah. that's the, as much as we're sitting here thinking, you know, is it going to be the future, is the future kind of classification or, or drilled, you know, that in a way, it's, it's like, is it, who was the, who was the, uh, who was the author that said that, you know, the future is here, but it arrives in kind of, you know, different speeds in different places. It's, you know, it, it, things change a lot, but things never change much at all, do they, in some respects? Yeah, I mean, I agree. It, it's interesting to see, uh, like you said, um, that we still go into to customers and they're using BI tools from from ten years ago. And the thing I would add on that is, and not using them in the proper way or even effectively. So, what's interesting is that they're behind. Uh, well, not all customers, obviously, and especially not mine. You get you are yeah. all wonderful. <laughs> But uh, but there are some customers out there or organizations out there that uh, you, you know they're looking at. Well, we should probably go do a BI. Pro uh, sorry, a big data project, but their BI project is so poorly done. So maybe it's maybe the, those vendors. It's or sorry, those organizations. It's time to to rethink. Uh, maybe a greenfield implementation using more sort of uh, modern uh, analytic tools. I, I want to make one more point. Uh, that, you know what you said. Well, what will the what will the sort of the platform look like. I think that what we might see in the future around analytic apps is there is no central place for them that uh, uh, except for the finance side. And I think the finance side might completely be offloaded to Hyperion style applications at some point. But then everything else, 
just is, is, is being built and maybe it's being built in custom code. Uh, maybe it's being built, but, uh, but almost in a microservices style. And if you sort of get on board with the data streaming frameworks, that becomes much easier to produce just-in-time analytics in small doses. And I think if finance can close the books some way, uh, maybe we don't need that single version of the truth for everything else. I don't know. It's interesting. I, I think for, for, for me, I mean, it's great that the, the, that the industry is still kind of relevant. It's, it's great that we're, we're still talking about it. And it's great that there's, if you think about the fact that you, know, you pick up a copy of The Economist or Time and, and, and the lead stories about a business that is innovating through you know, analytics and, and so on. And it's, it's, it's great to be in a, in a part of the industry that is, you know, IT that is, is, is kind of so popular. And I think from a personal side, you know, when a lot of the work in IT was outsourced to India and places like that and, and, really analytics was the most the one, the one thing that was saved because it is so personal to the people you're doing it with and it is so kind of important to the business and it's such a kind of thing that you know it benefits from consultancy and it benefits from expertise really so it's, it's it, it, i think we, we we lucked out really in a way being this kind of area and uh it's interesting to see how the vendors go and how that might change over time and methodologies but it's great to be in an area that is is, is still so kind of popular and buzzing really yeah, it's where so much innovation is happening. It's it's crazy. I mean, when you go look at startups, you know, uh, you, you're going to hear about, you know, 10 new startups, 10 new hot startups, and, you know, seven of them are doing something around analytics. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's really, you know, worth the, worth the, worth the cusp, man. Excellent. And I'm, and I'm here just because I followed you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, Stuart, <laughs> it's been great speaking to you. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's great to have you as our first guest. <clears throat> so, um, thank you very much for, for coming on the, uh, on the show. And, oh, it's my uh, pleasure, Mark. I look forward to to all the uh, uh, listening to this and yeah. uh, all the future episodes you're going to have. I mean, it's just going to be fantastic. I can't wait to to catch the uh, feed in my uh, in my iTunes. It should be excellent. Cheers, Stuart. Okay, thank you, and thanks everyone. Goodbye.